Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill Baptist Church. So glad that all of you are here this morning. How many of you are glad that you got an extra hour of sleep last night? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to say with me, say, I am so glad. No, 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 let's do that again. You need to sound like you really mean to what we're getting ready to tell this person. You're in church, okay? Say, I'm so glad you got an extra hour of sleep. You look like... You needed it. (laughs) Well, it's good to be back. Last week, I had the privilege of celebrating my birthday with my family in Atlanta and in Louisiana. Um, I have a milestone birthday that I experienced last week. I have entered into a new decade. And and this new decade, no, 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 no. The only people, the people who are clapping that are older than me. That's what's happening. (laughs) That's what's happening right now. Uh, this new decade, I turned 60 years old last Sunday. And I'm like, 60? I got a friend a card this past week, and here's what the card said. It said, don't think you're getting older, people are living longer. Then it says this, um, 30 is a new 20. 40 is a new 30. 50 is a new 40. And you open it up, and it says denial is a new math. I thought, that is so true. And so, um, and, and this 60-year-old new decade, it's just kind of hit me hard. It's kind of like, man, I'm, I look in the mirror and I think, when did I get old? But, you know, I'm not old. I'm just getting older. Amen? That's it. And so, it's been a joy. And so, I had the opportunity to spend the weekend with my family. Chris surprised me by getting me two airline tickets to, from Atlanta to Baton Rouge and two tickets for LSU Tigers and the Auburn Tigers playing last Saturday. So we drove to Atlanta. Ryan and I flew out of Atlanta to Baton Rouge, and we were in Tiger Stadium last Saturday watching LSU beat the Auburn Tigers. And when we walked away from that, LSU is the number one college football team in the nation right now. Number one. And so we're pumped about that because we're big LSU fans. And, and we're really excited about it because we have jumped beyond Alabama to be number one in the nation. However, we have to face Alabama this weekend. And Alabama has been our nemesis. We have not beaten them for eight years. And so LSU has been primed for this. They've been thinking, this is our mission. This is our mission. Our goal is to beat Bama. And so this week, they're preparing for all of that. And this next Saturday at 3.30, Alabama and LSU face off. And Jim Dunn and I, who Jim is from Tuscaloosa, we never watch the game together. We never do. I, I would really like to watch it with him this weekend if he's here. But this is one of those opportunities where we continue to celebrate together on these things that we have differences in. But we also, we see that they're both on a mission. And the same is true, listen, with every college football team. When they begin the season, they have a mission. Their mission is to do well. Their mission is to earn a spot in the playoff. Their mission is to be a part of the national championship team and to be able to win that championship. That's their mission. They begin the whole season by gearing up for that. They they begin to diet for that. They train for that. They watch films of their opponents. They do everything they need to do to be on top. That's their mission. And it's not only just true of football, But it's true of many businesses, it's true of families, even we in the body of Christ have a specific mission. 
Now, that word mission has been thrown around a lot lately, and it can mean a lot of different things. For example, mission can be a task or an assignment to be carried out. We see our military often has missions. In the last couple of weeks, they had a mission and took out one of the most vicious, ruthless men on our planet. They accomplished their mission. But that mission is a specific task for a specific time, and then it's over. So it can be a task or an assignment. A mission can be an organizational statement. A lot of places have organizational statements that are mission statements. Businesses have it. Disney has a mission statement. People, happiness. If you've ever been to Disney, you can see that it can be the, one of the most unhappy places with children crying and parents fussing and all of that. But that's their mission statement. So a mission can be a statement, and we see many mission statements around. But mission can be a buzzword in Christian circles too. Particularly in our day, that seems to become a buzzword. People are throwing the word missional around. And it sounds really good because it makes us sound spiritual. And it becomes this Christianese language in our lives. So mission can be a buzzword. But let me tell you, it's never meant to be just a one-time act or an assignment. Mission for the believer is not something that is just to be a statement. Mission for the believer is not to be something that's a buzzword. Mission for the believer is to be a lifestyle. It is to be something that we live every single day of our lives. Mission is something we do as children of God. And it's something that we do until the Lord Jesus comes back or he calls us home. We have seven core values. And one of our core values is we live on mission. We live a lifestyle of missional living. Now, let me just say this. Every, month, every year, the month of November, we set aside to focus on missions. We have called it in the past REACT, but what we're focusing on this time is not just strategic partnerships, but what we want to look at this season for the next month is how do we practically live on mission. So I'm primarily speaking to the church I'm speaking to those who are believers. And what is our mission? How are we called to carry that mission out? And what does it look like in our lives? So for the next month, we're going to be looking at we live on mission. Now, the passage that we're going to use is Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, I want to encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 1. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. Acts chapter 1 beginning in verse 1, and we'll go all the way to verse 8. Now, as you're turning there, let me set up the book of Acts for you. It's written by Luke. Luke is also the writer of the Gospel of Luke. This is a companion book that goes with the Gospel of Luke, written to a man by the name of Theophilus. And in the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And the entire book tells us all the things that Jesus did from his birth all the way to his resurrection. The book of Acts takes up from there. And Luke is recording all the acts of the apostles and of the early church. And the book of Acts begins in a very interesting way. The book of Acts begins with Jesus having a discussion with his disciples before he is ascended to the Father. And before... The church is even born, Jesus gives instructions. Before they are filled with the Spirit of God, Jesus gives them instructions. 
Before the church is launched out to impact the world, Jesus gives instructions. Before persecution comes and before the world is reached with the gospel, Jesus is giving them instructions. And in these instructions, he lays out for you and me the essentials for living on mission. And if we get this wrong, we will never get missional living right because it, believe, it begins right here as Jesus lays out five critical essentials. And these essentials build on top of the next one. They're sequential in order. He begins with one, and once you understand that, then you move to the next and the next and the next, and then you understand missional living. So this is what Jesus is giving to his disciples. He begins by saying in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He lays that out. And now he records the last words of Jesus to his disciples. So when they had come together, meaning the disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here's what I want to do for the rest of our time together this morning. I want to break down that passage and look at five key essentials for living on mission. And as we look at these, there are in sequential order, as I said, and one flows into the next. As we understand these things, then we can understand the heart of the Lord Jesus for every one of his disciples. Join me as we pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that as we read and study this and unpack this, that you would challenge us this morning that father your word would convict us and father your word would change us that we would be the people you desire us to be in jesus name and god's people said amen the five essentials where does he start jesus starts where we have to begin if we're going to understand missional living jesus reminds us of our priority the first thing he does is he directs his disciples into the priority of their lives. Jesus is about to ascend. They've, he's been with them for, for 40 days. He's been in their presence. And now he's about to ascend and go to the Father. And the first thing the disciples do is ask him this question. They say to him, so when they had come together, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, they were right in asking that question. Jesus talked to them about his restoring the kingdom on earth. Now, they understood about Jesus' second coming. And they wanted to know more about that. And he says to them, he said, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. The first thing they wanted to do is talk about his second coming. Now, in their mind, they must be thinking, this must be it. I mean, Jesus came in the flesh, he lived, he was crucified, he died, he was buried, he rose from the dead, he's back with us. Is this the time? Jesus did not rebuke them 
for asking about the second coming. He had already taught them about that. In fact, in verse 11 of this chapter, the angel says, As you see him go, he shall come back. So they were right in knowing that Jesus was going to return and set up his kingdom. But the problem was this. They were wanting to know when. They wanted to know the time. They wanted to know the hour. They wanted to know things that were only for the Father to know. And Jesus was not rebuking them in their question. He was redirecting them towards their mission. He's basically saying this. It's good for you. To want to know. It's good for you to anticipate my second coming. It's good for you to look forward to the future. But the priority of your life right now isn't the future. It's today. It's right now. You live for my kingdom. You serve me now. You tell people today what they need to know about my love and my forgiveness. And my kindness. Jesus basically was saying what Moses said centuries earlier in Deuteronomy 29, 29. He says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. He's saying this, there are certain things that only belong to God. There are certain mysteries that only belong to him. There are certain things that you will never know this side of heaven. But the things that are revealed to you by his word, in his spirit, are the things that you and your children are to do today. And you know what you're to do. You're to be about the work of my kingdom. Now let me tell you, we could be just like the disciples, can't we? We could be distracted by good things. If we're not careful, we can be so distracted by focusing on the second coming of Jesus that we neglect telling people about his first coming. We can all talk about the end times and wouldn't this be great? Now, there's nothing wrong with studying those things, but if we're so distracted that we're living there and we're not living here, then we've lost sight of the priority because I'm living here until I get there and I'm to share with everyone that I can. Sometimes we can be distracted by so pursuing our own spiritual growth that we neglect the spiritual darkness of people around us. And the kingdom becomes about me and my spiritual enlightenment. Now we are to grow in discipleship, but we are to be about the kingdom's work and people now. Sometimes we can be so caught up into wanting to protect our family and to provide for our family that we have come to think that the American dream is part of Christianity. We have seen that especially true in America. Now here's the thing. We think that the Christian life is having a happy marriage and having a, 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 a happy home. Having successful children who have educations and good jobs and we have great 401ks and we have great financial retirement. We have all the possessions we need. We have happy friends and a happy church and our Instagram post is very popular. That might be the American dream. But that's not the kingdom's dream. Because the kingdom's dream is the priority is for me to be about his kingdom. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Listen, folks, the priority of your kingdom and my kingdom is God's kingdom. 
That's where it starts. And if we're going to be missional in our lives, it begins by understanding it's not about me. It's not about my kingdom. It's about his kingdom. And Jesus is not rebuking them for wanting to learn those things. He's redirecting them and saying, but this first. Live on my mission. And let it be the priority of your heart and your life. So he reminds us of the priority. But secondly, here's what he does. He reminds us of our power. Now, this is the wonderful thing. Jesus doesn't give us the priority without giving us the power to achieve that. And here's where so many people use excuses. But I'm just not able to do that. Well, listen to what God's word says. Jesus says, here's the priority. Here's the power. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Three times he talks about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. The word power in the Greek is dunamis. It gives us the English word dynamite. And so the work of the kingdom is not carried about by human strength or ability. The work of the kingdom is a supernatural work which requires supernatural ability. And that comes from the person of the Holy Spirit. We see that has happened to the disciples. He told them to go and wait in Jerusalem until the promised Holy Spirit comes. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fills the disciples. And from that point on, they are never the same, are they? These cowardly men are bold. These men who were uneducated now are enlightened. These men who didn't have a clue now understand the kingdom. And they are turning the world upside down. Even the religious leaders said that they were uneducated men, but they saw that they were with Jesus, and it made all the difference in the world. Let me say this to you. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not a luxury. The ministry of the Holy Spirit and the believer is a necessity. You and I cannot do the work of the kingdom without the Spirit of God in us. And it is not about certain people having this spiritual elitism that have the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, no. Every single person who has surrendered his or her life to Jesus Christ, the moment that you come to faith in Christ, you are baptized into the Spirit of God at that moment. When you give your life to Christ, you have all the Holy Spirit you need at the moment of conversion. Some people say baptism of the Holy Spirit is a subsequent act that happens after salvation. Nowhere in Scripture is that taught. Nowhere in Scripture are you commanded to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That happens when you give your life to faith in Christ. You are sealed by the Spirit of God. You have the power of the third person of the Trinity in you. Every child of God. The difference between being baptized in the Spirit and being filled in the Spirit is this. Baptism is a one-time act that happens at conversion. Being filled by the Spirit of God is something that happens over and over and over as you yield your life to Jesus. You go through the book of Acts and it says, and they were filled. And they were filled. And they were filled. The filling of the Holy Spirit is something that keeps happening as I keep in step with the Spirit of God. But listen, every child of God at conversion has the Holy Spirit. How important is that? Here's why. You have the power, spiritual dynamite in you to accomplish what God has called you to do. The very power of God lives in you. And it means this, that when you're on mission, you're never alone. 
The Spirit of God is with you. When you're on mission, you never do it in your own strength. You do it in His strength. When you're on mission, you do not work according to your own power, but the Spirit of God who lives in you works through you in the power of the gospel because it's the gospel that's the power of God into salvation. That's why Paul writes to the Thessalonians, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in dunamis, dynamite, and in the power and in the Holy Spirit with full confidence. Paul would write to the Ephesians. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask according to the dynamite, dunamis, that is at work in you. Listen, we have no excuses, children of God. Many people will say this, but you don't understand. I don't have the theological training. But you have the Spirit of God. I don't have the ministry exp- uh, experience, but you have the Spirit of God. I don't have the personality, but you have the Spirit of God. I, I don't have the understanding, but you have the Spirit of God who gives you enlightenment to all things. And so not only do we have the priority of the kingdom work, we have the power for the kingdom of work. And here's what I've come to know in my own life. For every Spirit-led prompting, we have Holy Spirit power. Every spirit-led prompting. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, he gives you the power to accomplish it. I wish I had time to share with you illustrations in my own life how that has been true over and over and over again. But here's the truth. We have the priority. He's given it to you. You have the power. He's given it to you. Now here's the third essential. Jesus reminds us of our purpose. Now, all this flows in order. You and I can't live our purpose if we don't know the priority. You and I can't live our purpose if we don't have the power. So he's working right in order. Now that you know your priority, now that you know your power, here's your purpose. What is our purpose? He says, and you will be my witnesses. This word is used 29 times in the book of Acts. It is a favorite word of Luke. And we see it over and over again. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. We see Peter saying, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. In Acts chapter 3, verse 15, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Now, when you think of the word witness, we can't help but thinking of a court proceeding, right? And we think of what a witness does. A witness is a person who simply relays the facts as he or she knows them. They speak about what they have seen, what they have heard, what they have experienced. Now, the people in the court don't care about the opinion of the witness. The people in the court don't care about the interpretation that the witness might have on certain acts. The people in the court don't care really about the feelings of the witness. They want the facts. And as you and I are living on mission, our number one purpose is to witness And be a witness to other people of what Jesus has done for us. It's that simple. We are to testify of his goodness. We are to testify of his grace. We are to testify of his kindness. We are to testify of his forgiveness. We are to testify of his power. We are to testify of his life-changing gospel. And everywhere we go, here's what we are to do. We're not to argue with people. We're just to testify. When Jesus said, you are my witnesses, he also told us what we were not. Let me tell you what we're not. We are not called to be a judge. We're not called to be a judge. 
It's not your job, my job to judge the world. The Father alone is the judge. He is the judge. So we're not judges. We're not called to be prosecutor. The prosecutor is the one who goes out to convict and to bring the formal charges against someone. That's not your job or my job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. He convicts hearts and draws them to the Father. We're not called to be the defense attorney. You know what the defense attorney does? The defense attorney is the one who tries to acquit the person on trial. It is not your job and my job to acquit people of their sins. Only Jesus could do that on the cross. So you see the Father is the judge. The Holy Spirit is the prosecutor. Jesus is the defense attorney. What am I? I'm a witness. See it? It's really simple, isn't it? But don't we make it confusing? Because we want to be the judge. We want to be the prosecutor. Sometimes we want to be the defense attorney. But all we're called to do is to tell people what Jesus has done. I'm to be a witness on my job. I'm to be a witness in the marketplace. I'm to be a witness in the restaurant. I'm to be a witness in my home. I'm to be a witness with my neighbors. Everywhere I go, the focal point of my life is just to tell people about how wonderful Jesus is. Here's the fourth thing Jesus tells us. He gives us a specific plan. Now, he moves on with the plan. The thing that I love about Jesus as you go through the Gospels and you, and you listen to Jesus speak, he's always strategic. And he's always strategic in the way he wants to carry things out. He tells the disciples, okay, here's the priorities, my kingdom. Here's your power. The Holy Spirit's in you. Here's your job. You're a witness. Oh, oh, by the way, here's the plan. Here's what I want you to do. He says, you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He breaks it down really into three categories. And here's how we break it down. Jerusalem is my home. Jerusalem represents my home. Judea represents the community that I live in and I live around. Samaria and the ends of the earth represent my world. So where am I to be a witness? In my home, in my community, and everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. That's the place where we're to carry it out. Now, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that the book of Acts was broken down exactly the way Jesus planned. Jerusalem, Acts chapter 1 through 7. Then you find Judea and Samaria, Acts chapter 8 through 12. And the ends of the earth, Acts 13 through 28. So the whole book of Acts is broken down according to the plan that Jesus had. And the rest of the, the New Testament is all about the carrying out of the plan of Christ. So here's where we're going to go in the next three weeks. Next week, we're going to look at I live on mission in my home. Josh Hansen is going to come as our family pastor and he's going to speak to us about how can we live on mission in our homes. Then we're going to look, I live on mission in my community. And in the third week, the last week, Vic and I will work on this message on we live in, on mission everywhere I go. And so you received a card when you came in today and that card has two sides to it. The one side says some mission opportunities. Here's what we want to encourage you to do. 
We want to encourage every family, regardless of what your family makeup is. You may be single. You may be married without kids. You may be married with a bunch of kids. You may be married with an empty nest. You may be, you may be older adults. You may be widowed. No matter what you are, whatever situation you find yourself, we want to challenge you to get involved in mission opportunities this week. We came up with some ideas of how every family can get involved. And so this next Saturday, we want to challenge all the families in our church to find a place for you and your family to be on mission. You do it. We're not organizing this. You do this. We're giving you some ideas. And we want you to take pictures and photos and any video of your family on mission. And we want you to email those to media at scottshill.org. We want to be able to see what are the things that our people are doing to be on mission this week. Then on the 16th, we're going to have an opportunity to love our community. And we're going to ask you to go on our website and you sign up for a mission opportunity in our community with your family. Then on the 23rd, we're going to join Vigilant Hope downtown for a block party. And we're going to love on our people in downtown Wilmington. We're going to minister to them. We're going to love on them. We're going to tell them about Jesus. We're going to invite them. We're going to take all the opportunities to do mission during this month. And I want you to pay attention to those opportunities. Then on the 24th, we have a culmination that Sunday evening of celebrating missions together and a meal together that night for right before our members meeting. So we want to encourage you to keep this card, pay attention to this, because this is an opportunity for us to be on mission. So we've seen the priority. We've seen the power. We've seen the purpose. We've seen the plan. Here's the last one. Jesus reminds us that missional living it's personal. It's personal. Now, you might think, sure, it's personal. That goes without saying, but I have to say it. Because a lot of times we think missional living is for somebody else to do. Missional living is for the pastors to do. Missional living is for the elders to do. Missional living is for the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, the small group leaders, the connect group leaders, all of the workers. No, missional living is for every child of God. Notice how Jesus says it. You will receive power. Do you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you? Have you been converted to faith in Christ? Then you do. This is for you. You will be my witnesses. You will be the ones to testify. The question is, what kind of witness are you? You see, we're all witnesses. If I claim to be a Christian and people are watching my life, I am a witness of the kind of Savior that I serve. And I'm a witness of the kind of faithfulness that I have or I don't have. We must do this individually. For many, many years, the church loved to talk about missions, but they used a phrase that's totally different than living on mission. The church used to say we're mission-minded. To be mission-minded simply says we think about missions. Oh, we bring missionaries in every now and then. We take up an offering for them. We send money to them. We pray for missionaries in our small groups. We do all these things. Oh, yeah, we think about missions. But being mission-minded is not the same thing as being missional. Mission-minded just simply says we think about it. Missional says we do it. We do it. And we are not a church that is mission-minded. We are a church that is missional. And we live on mission. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to conclude this with this one statement. 
Missional living means I adopt the posture of a missionary everywhere I go. When you leave here today and you go to your house, you're a missionary. When you speak with your neighbor in Christ, you're a missionary. When you go on the job in Christ, you're a missionary. Where If you go to the state fair in Christ, you're a missionary. If you go to the spot festival, you're desperate. No, just kidding. No. If you go to the spot festival, you're a missionary. I hope we don't have any spot festival organizers here. Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. But even in that, we're missional. Wherever we go. I about lost it here. Okay. Wherever we go, we are missional. And the point is this. In a moment when you leave here, you enter your mission field. When you walk out of these doors, you don't get on a plane and fly over an ocean and go to a people who can't understand you. These are your mission opportunities. When you go to lunch today, you're on your mission field. When you go to work tomorrow, you're on your mission field. When you come home to your family, you are on your mission field everywhere you go. So what do we do? Let me give you three quick steps, three action steps. Number one, develop a mission statement for your family. See on the back side of this? It says, we, I live on mission by. Create a mission statement for your family. You might say, I have no idea how to do that. Well, I did one for myself. Here's what I wrote. If I'm live on mission by, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to love others. I'm going to serve others. I'm going to share Jesus with others. And I'm going to invite people to Scotts Hill. That's going to be my missionary plan. Chris and I, as we live our lives, we're going to be intentional about it. We're going to love people like Jesus loved them. We're going to serve people like Jesus served them. We're going to tell them about Jesus and testify to his grace. And we're going to invite them to come to a great place where they can learn how to walk and how to love him. It's real simple. Or you can do this. You can simply do the points that we said today. I'm going to live missionally by living the priorities of Jesus. I'm going to walk in his power. I'm going to remember my purpose and I'm going to follow his plan. So we want to encourage every family to write out a mission statement. Secondly, here's what we want to do. We want to decide on the missional opportunities for this upcoming week. I want you to look at the back of this card and you as a family say, what are we going to do this week? Let's go live on mission. Parents, one of the greatest things that you can do to show your kids the importance of the kingdom of God is show them how to serve in the kingdom of God and how to live out the kingdom of God principles where they are. Take them on a mission opportunity this week. And then thirdly, consider supporting our church plant. Oak Valley is a church plant that we launched last year. We're going to talk about this a little more later. But Oak Valley, we launched them last year. We made a commitment as a church that we would support them during that first year with a $125,000 gift 